Hello and good morning. Fantastic. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you to all of you. For the past 12 months or so, we've had, as Kat mentioned, lots of different people at the front of church. And I see it as a sign of strength that we don't have to rely on just one person to do everything. We are blessed here at Locking Castle Church with so many people filled with the spirit and the fruit and the goodness of that. So I want to thank you for supporting that for the past 12 or so months. You've been prayerful, you've been kind, you've been generous, you've even laughed at some of my jokes. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. I genuinely mean it. It's, it's not always straightforward being at the front of a church and bearing yourself. We've heard so many stories. You've supported us throughout. So thank you so much for being a congregation that supports those who are growing in the Lord. It really means a lot. This morning, I'll be preaching on how to butter up a congregation. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I, I did mean what I said. I'm only, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. This morning, I'll be bringing you another perspective on 1 Corinthians 13 and the power in that scripture. Everyone in the room knows this piece of scripture very well, in particular verses 4, 5, and 6. What wedding is complete without hearing these verses? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. I don't need to go on because you just heard it so beautifully read by Nikki. And I swear, every single wedding I've been to, I've heard that piece of scripture. And I hear it, and I pause. I sit there looking at the beautiful bride, the happy groom, the majesty of the room, everyone's suited and booted. It's a wonderful, happy day, a happy occasion. And these words of love, this scripture of love is ringing in my ears. And I can't help but sit there and think, I know, I heard this at the last wedding. When can we go to the reception? Because we hear and speak and sing of love every week. So we can, unfortunately, become a little bit desensitized to what it actually means in a biblical sense. It's possible to start accidentally just letting slip the importance of this piece of scripture and of love itself. So I'll cut to the chase on it. To Christians, love is the whole thing. It's everything. As humans, we crave it. From God, we receive it. To others, we're called to give it. And wrapped in forgiveness, our salvation is based on it. And I bring up forgiveness very purposefully because there's no love without forgiveness. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no forgiveness without love. The world today has so much messaging around love. Love yourself and love others. Love your body. Find a new love. Love different expressions of love. Feel in love. And yet with these messages, we hear nothing of forgiveness or, or completeness or maturity, responsibility, sacrifices. That messaging just isn't there with the world's concept. Indeed, if you stand up these days and say the wrong thing, there's a chance that you can become suddenly unloved. That love is withdrawn from you. You get cancelled. There's no chance of coming back from that. There's no restoration. There's no forgiveness involved at all. Does that sound like love to you? Oh, I didn't think it did. That doesn't sound like the love Paul is speaking about here. So we need to make sure we understand Paul's definition of love from a biblical perspective. You've all heard this word before. The word used for love in this Greek, uh, this passage is the Greek word agape. One or two English translations actually use the word charity instead, which is a great descriptor because charity can be defined as love in action. But it's usually universally translated into English as just love. 
And if you look throughout the Bible, there are many other Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew words used for love. Uh, agapai, rakem, ahava. All different concepts. But in English, we restrict ourselves to just the word love. The detail isn't there. We need to understand that the word love just doesn't do the concept justice. Agape means so much more. It's the love God has for man under unconditional circumstances. It's a spiritual, altruistic, beneficial, benevolent love, complete, willing good for others, and expecting no reward. In 1 Timothy, it says that agape that comes out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned is the end of the commandment, the goal of the commandment. In effect, commandments are fulfilled and completed by this true and genuine love. And as you just heard, Paul is scathing towards things that appear to be loving, but are actually hollow gestures in comparison. Note that in verses 8 through to 12, he lists things that fall away, things that aren't permanent. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will be stilled. These things fall away. But it's then the completeness of love, the enduring nature of a real genuine love that he focuses on and when that's in part the things that he spoke about prophecy ceasing tongues will be still those things will then fall away the child grows up maturity completeness takes its rightful place being described in verses four five and six are the fruits of love that mature complete and nourishing love in action that we're called to perform so with that in mind, let's take a look at a few ways that we might love in three directions, up, in, and out. Firstly, how can we love upwards? I want you to shout out some ideas. How can we love upwards towards God? How can we show God his love? Obedience, I like that. Praising, absolutely, I like that one too. I think we, we're pretty well versed as a people on how we can do it. Some of it is already very clear in scripture and we do it every day we can walk in his ways we can be obedient we can praise him we can keep his commandments cleave unto him serve the lord your god and many more we love first because he loved us it's in 1 john chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 it says that perfect love drives out fear and we love first because he loved us because he apologies he, we love because he first loved us and, and let's not forget the he here who are we talking about here we're talking about Almighty God. He loved us first. He loved the world so much that he sent and then gave his only begotten son. Our love and our salvation are tied together. With that in mind, how can we not make it a focus to be loving upwards? There are so many ways to show God our love for him. But this morning, I'm just going to focus on one that I've been working on. And that's doing it through prayer. I believe that prayer and love are intertwined. Faith and love are intricately connected. So if prayer is an expression of our faith, then it's futile to try and make a separation. But it can be easy for me, in particular, to get into the habit of praying a solely petitionary or relational prayer. That those things are very, very valuable. I'll never speak ill of them, far from. But we can sometimes forget that we can love upwards with our thoughts and words and utterances very directly, no matter how poorly we may consider our ability to do so. When I first moved to Weston as a child, our Pentecostal church had a great Sunday school. I distinctly remember being told that we needed to learn and get comfortable with praying and telling God that we loved him. I was about seven years old then. How powerful is that? That we were told, you know, get used to telling God that you love him in your prayers. And that's amazing. And the more I looked, the more I saw 
different expressions of prayer in that church that embodied that throughout. There was one lady, a booming character with huge stature, who would stand up and pray in a bombastic voice, Lord, we thank you for this day. And it was, it was lovely and, you know, it was, it was loud and it was, it was powerful. But you could tell it came from a, a spirit of love deep down inside her. You could tell that for sure. And then on the opposite side, there was one chap I remember who was a touch more timid. He was, he was a bit more shy. You could tell he wasn't really happy standing up and praying in front of people. He wasn't, he wasn't up for it. But he felt the fear and he did it anyway. He'd stand up and pray a very simple prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've done for us. Really thank you. Amen. And even though it wasn't big and bombastic or loud, it was completely valid. And you could tell that he, he loved God enough to stand up and go out there and put himself out there and do it. It was amazing. And there was another person I can think of whose prayers would be longer and longer each time she would stand up. Bear in mind we're in a Pentecostal church. So at any point, people can stand up and start praying. And that's a wonderful blessing. But there were some people you would wonder, will I get home for my lunch before 2 p.m.? And this lady, I love her so dearly, but she would pray, and Lord, we pray for these things, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And you think, ah, there we go, the natural ends for prayer, before she'd hit you with a, and also, Lord, we pray for Aunt Enid's gammy knee, which pops out when she kneels down. And very detailed prayers. And I remember thinking, these aren't good prayers, but do you know what? I also remember thinking that there's no way you could deny that was a love letter to the Lord. Those people, when they prayed and they just let it go and said, okay, fine, I'm not believing that I'm good at this. I don't think that my ability is there, but I love you, Lord, and I'm going to do it. When people do that, and that can, be, that can be in front of church like this, it could be standing up at the back, it can be doing it in their life group, anything like that, that's so valid. And Hopefully today you get home for your lunch before 2 p.m. And I want you to know that I'm not mocking these people, not one bit. They stood up and they used their prayers to tell the Lord that they loved him. I use them as examples to show how every style of prayer is valid and a form of loving worship to the Lord. So I implore you today, embrace your style of prayer and start getting comfortable, if that's something that's a bit tricky for you, in telling God you love him make sure your prayers are going upwards so that's upwards what about inwards common pop psychology boasts a handful of decent points that we should try to forgive ourselves and we shouldn't be too proud or boastful and we should think of others before we think of us oh, that sort of thing sounds pretty good right I, I, I can get on board with that but in the biblical sense is that loving to us is that loving ourselves what do we love uh, we played a little family fortunes earlier. I think Kat was a wonderful Les Dennis, by the way. I, I really like that. And I've aged myself with the choice of presenter there, but that's fine. And if you ask any random person on the street what they love, they'll list their partner, their family, their job, their cat. The generic stuff. There were a couple of good ones on the list as well. Harry Potter, I think, was on. That's really good. A Christian may say, I love my God. Fantastic. But how many people would be brave enough to stand up and openly say, because of what God thinks of me and has done for me and the way he sees me, I love me. We're often afraid or ashamed to love ourselves. We've been led to believe that we're not worthy of that love or that we're unlovable or that we can only be loved when a certain thing's in place or that it's wrong to even try and make ourselves a priority. Make your growth in God a priority, I'd say. You love yourself when you spend time 
praying upwards, discerning God's will and purpose for your life. You love yourself when you study the word, when you engage with life group. And we need to let go of only loving ourselves based on condition. I love myself if I lose a couple of pounds. I love myself, thank you. I love myself when I change and I become a better Christian. I love myself if somebody else makes me feel that I'm worthy of love first. But you know that's not how God sees you. It's definitely not how he loves you. He loves you without condition. And I'm not suggesting you puff out your chest with a bombastic pride and stride around everywhere. But if you were to sit and, and really grasp and see yourself from the perspective in the way that God sees you, that would absolutely, utterly be mind-blowing. Uh, choosing to see yourself as God sees you, even for a moment, completely embracing that overflowing love, that would be transformational. You're God's masterpiece. He loves you and chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. For you, he gave his only son. So while I'm not fool enough to say, okay, fine, I decide to see myself as God sees me, bam, flick a switch, and suddenly choose that way of life. I'm sure there are steps that we can take towards turning our perspective of ourselves a little closer to his. And I'd argue that a powerful way to do this is to embody his love. Pray for the spirit to give a self-awareness just to keep us in step so that we're not falling into those traps mentioned in the passage, uh, the pride, the, the, the things that fall away. And I say this for me, as much as I say it for anybody else, by the way, I need to pray for help in producing that nourishing fruit of love mentioned in those central verses. So there are many ways that we can love in. How about loving out? I know that we're supposed to love others. That's, that's in our nature, it's obvious, isn't it? That's the main love that we think about, loving others. And it's a wonderful thing, we're made to love. In fact, today is my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. Abs I know, absolutely, congratulations to them. They've been married for 40 years today, and they play a little game. Every year on their anniversary, they decide between them which one of them gets the medal for putting up for the other one for the past 12 months. So we're gonna, we're gonna play a game today. Hands up here who is married. Fantastic. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to be married, isn't it? Thank you, hands down. Now, hands up here. Who thinks that in this current year of marriage, whatever year you're in, you deserve the medal for putting up with your partner? I'm quite concerned because on this side, there's, there's a couple where they both put their hands up. Prayer is available after the service. So it's completely obvious, be they wife, husband, partner, child, family, anything. Even when we feel such a strong love towards somebody else, it's sometimes very difficult to love in action. That infinite resource of patience and kindness, that good nature and honesty, the boundless hope and infinite endurance, sometimes those things escape us. And that's human, but we are called. We need to make an effort here. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I have a feeling it's non-negotiable. So we've got to take heed of the specifics in this passage. When we're encountering others, a war cry isn't good enough. We need to actually love them, imparting a bit of knowledge, assisting them with great power on their own. They're not good enough. Even the kindest, most loving words that resonate with that person's love language, yeah, that's really powerful. I suggest you do that. But really, it's that, that true, complete love that we need to be bringing them. No matter how good our intentions, the things that fall away aren't good enough. We starve people if we feed them those things and those things only. The first thing we should be feeding others when we are loving out are the fruits from that most excellent tree, the fruits of love. 
I'm thinking back, when I think of the people who have had the biggest positive influences in, in my life, they didn't have infinite faith. They, they didn't have ultimate knowledge. They, um, they certainly didn't have the ability to solve all my problems. But I tell you what they did do. They loved me. They left me with something far more powerful and more lasting as a result. They didn't leave me with a transient thing. They left a lifelong impact on me because they left me with love. And in that way, our daily lives are made more worthwhile by others loving us. And I don't think that's something that is easy to disagree with. I think we can all see that naturally. So if you get a chance later today, I, I would say take a moment to think back. Remember the fruit of love kindly given by others that has nourished you. Whether you've deserved it or not, by the way, some of you with the hands up for marriage, who knows? And let that inspire you to return the favor. There are so many ways that you can read this passage in Corinthians. Last week, uh, Emily brought a, a brilliant um, detail on how it was given and to who. Uh, this week, we've looked at something to do with the action of love. Next week will be something completely different. There's so much we can glean from. There's so many more things I could have touched on or that we can all delve into. But for me, it would just be distracting from what I see as the main thing. The one thing I want you to take away this morning is that love in action is our calling. That a, a partial love or a love that stays incomplete is not good enough. That the big words and sweeping gestures that never last, I'm afraid they probably just won't be enough. Instead, the fruit of love should be evident in our conversations, in our actions, and in our lives. And that we can love up and in and out safe in the knowledge that our Father in heaven loves us with the most complete forgiving love that will never, ever fail.